My God, why have you forsaken me? Those words probably bring your mind to Jesus on the cross. But just in case you didn't know, those words were written in Scripture 1,000 years earlier. And today we're going to be at Psalm 22. You can open your Bible to Psalm 22 and we will not go anywhere else besides understanding this psalm today. And first let me ask you, did you ever feel like God has forsaken you? Did you feel like he has left you, that he wasn't there? Did you feel like he wasn't hearing your prayers? You say, God, why didn't you stop this from happening? I know you could have. And then you feel a little guilty for saying it or even thinking it. And what David was experiencing when he wrote Psalm 22 is very common in the Psalms. Many Psalms start out with a cry from the heart. And they end with a heart full of praise. And if you don't have any other takeaways from this morning, and I hope you have a lot... But know this, it is okay to cry out your heart to God. It is okay to tell him whatever you are feeling. He knows it anyways. Not only is it okay, it is recommended and preferred that you would cry out your heart. To God. If you do not cry out to God, He may not ever be able to answer you in a mighty way. So let me let me read Psalm twenty two, or at least start reading it, and see if you can see the dilemma that David was feeling when he wrote these words. That what David felt did not match up with what he knew. This is what he felt. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear and in the night season, I'm not silent. But, verse 3, he knows this, there's something different. He knows this, but, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. 
But what he felt was, but I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. (laughs) They shake their head. They say he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But it doesn't make sense because what he knows is, but you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. It felt like that God had forsaken him. But he knew that God had delivered others. Does that ever be a test to your faith when you see God answering other people's prayers? And yours are not? Someone was just telling me this, and I don't remember who. I don't think it was anybody in this room. They knew two people had the exact same cancer, the same diagnosis. One person died, and the other person miraculously recovered. How do you explain that if you're the person whose loved one just died? David felt like his trust in God was only leaving him open to ridicule. And yet he knew that God had been faithful to him since he was born. I could, I could picture David singing a duet with C.C. Winans. For all my life, you have been faithful. For all my life, you have been so, so good. But then David would think, it's too painful to sing the rest of the psalm. And maybe David would revert back to this other song that was played a lot a few years ago. I know you're good, but this don't feel good right now. And I know you think of things I could never think about. It's hard to count it all joy, distracted by the noise, just trying to make sense of all your promises. Sometimes you've got to stop. Remember that you're God and I am not. And so David, out of that heart cry to God, wrote this psalm. And he said it to the tune of the morning deer. Maybe it was a deer that was being hunted. I don't know. But you'll take notice of how many animals are used in the next section of this psalm. It's a poetic description of David's suffering. And I'm going to read verses 12 through 21. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. 
My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a shard of pottery and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Notice the dogs, the lions, the wild oxen. Now I know there's some, still some King James Version readers in this room. And so if you're reading that in the King James, it talks about from the, the horns of the unicorn. And so I just want to clarify that this unicorn that is mentioned in the Bible is not a little pony wrapped up in a rainbow that's pooping out Skittles. Okay. So that was not what would have been in David's mind and it would not have been in the early English translator's mind either. Okay, so that's what we think of of unicorn. But this unicorn was a 2,000-pound bull. In fact, in Julius Caesar's uh, dictionary of animals, he described it as slightly inferior to the elephant. Okay? Um, if you ever watched the zookeeper's wife, they were trying, Hitler was trying to reorient this ancient animal back to life. Um, the horns on this animal uh, would remind you of a Texas longhorn, except instead of standing out straight, they were aimed right at you as they were attacking you. So David feels like he is surrounded by dogs, roaring lions, and impaled on the horns of an angry bull. And then we have this phrase, you have answered me. Now this is music. And so... The tune that it was sung to is not inspired. Okay, so we don't know what tune it was. But it had, if, you, if this is an orchestra playing this song, it is crescendoing. It is all of the instruments. It is bold. It is loud. It is like, deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the unicorn. You have answered me. And then just the flutes take over. I will declare your name to my brothers in the assembly. I will praise you. There is a major change and shift from that point to the rest of the psalm. When I was working at 911, I got a phone call from a man who was in the lake, Lake Wiyokapka. That's a real place in Polk County. He and his friend had somehow sunk their boat. And amazingly, they were wearing life jackets. And they were holding on to a floating gas tank. And 20 minutes of my life and their life was spent on the phone with each other. What they didn't know is that his wife had already seen what had happened and had already had responders on the way, 
But these men were in panic mode. We're going to die out here. You don't understand what it's like. The waves don't stop. And the more I tried to reassure them, the more they tried to convince me how what an urgent and desperate situation they were in. Now, before any government-owned boat could arrive there, firefighters were at the dock and went on a private vehicle boat out onto the water. And the guys that I was talking to in the water could see the boat leaving from the ramp. And I'm telling them to relax. Let the life jackets do their job. And it didn't work. Uh, they just like, they're passing us by. We're going to die out here. Tell them to turn left. So I type into the screen, they say turn left. <laughs> and the dispatcher tells the firefighter who has a handheld radio, they say turn left. And then the dispatcher is at the front of the room, yells back to me at the back of the room, they see them. And so I talk to the person in the phone and I say, they see you. And I can't forget the exhale that I heard. <sighs> they had been in panic mode for over 15 minutes on the phone with me. Now at that moment, the waves had not stopped. Their life jackets didn't suddenly become buoyant. But they knew they were seen. They knew they were rescued. I said, I'm going to hang up the phone now. You can interact with the firefighters on scene. I don't know exactly what happened with David when he wrote Psalm 22. I don't know how God answered his prayer. But the rest of the psalm, which is also very common in the psalms, was a praise to God for answering his cry for help. By the time you get to the end of the psalm, David would be able to stand here and he'd be able to finish singing that song. With every breath that I am able, oh, I will sing of the goodness of God. I don't think anything had changed yet, but he knew that God answered his prayer. So there's Psalm 22 in a nutshell. I hope that you understand it better than before. Maybe if it weren't for Psalm 22, maybe David would never have been prepared to write Psalm 23. Oh, but then something happened that changed the significance of Psalm 22. Our Savior was nailed to the cross. And out of his bowels, he cried out, Psalm 22.1. I believe, and I read that Spurgeon also suggested, that this whole psalm, every verse, may have been recited by our Savior while he was on the cross. In fact, the very last word of the psalm, in Hebrew, it's one word, and in English, it takes three words to translate it. It says, he has done this. 
And Jesus on the cross yelled out one Greek word, tetelestai, and translated into English three words. It is finished. Do you ever have scripture take a hold of you like that? I mean, it was there the whole time. You've read the Bible many times in your life. But then one day, the scripture intersects with your life in a special way. And that scripture becomes part of who you are for the rest of your life. It's happened to me in multiple cases. Genesis 50, 20, put the past behind me. 2 Corinthians 1, 10, God set me free. 2 Corinthians 4, 18, it happened to be the week that our family was selling our cows and life was going to change. And, and, and it just happened to come along to this verse in my daily Bible reading that we look not on the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporal. The things that are unseen are eternal. Another day I was just reading what came next in my Bible and I got to 1 Corinthians 7.29 and it said the time is short. And I literally closed my Bible and never looked back. Came to Florida to go to Bible college. Because that one verse moved me. I want you to, that only happens from my experience and from other people's stories that I've heard. If you're regularly reading your Bible, you're spending time with God on a daily basis, you might read the Bible 200 days in a row and nothing significant special happened, but on day 201, your life intersects with the Bible that you're reading that day and your life is never the same again. Now multiply that fact by a million billion Because we're going to look at Psalm 22 and find out that the Holy Spirit put these words in the scripture, into the eternal record, knowing full well that every word in this psalm was prophetic about Jesus. Knowing that we would read these words 3,000 years later and we would worship Jesus. And that's what we're going to do for the rest of this worship hour. Matthew and Mark both Record when Jesus spoke these words, those that were present at the cross were unable to determine what he was saying. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And people taunted him, the dude's calling for Elijah or something. Why would Jesus cry out with a sense of abandonment? The sky was dark in the middle of the day. In fact, it's interesting to me that David said, I cry in the daytime and in the night season. What's a night season? But when Jesus cried out those words in the night season, it was between 12 o'clock and 3 o'clock in the afternoon where it was as dark as night. Jesus' body was beaten, bloody, stinging, open wounds, stretched out naked, nailed to wood, Besides the fact that he was bearing the weight of every sin that we have ever done. And yet, he's saying these same thoughts. Would it be strange to feel rejected even in that situation? Because God was a faithful God. Men trusted, God delivered. Men cried, God saved. Men trusted, God did not disappoint. I would submit to you, Jesus was certainly not on the cross having a pity party about this. So you could follow Jesus' example even when you don't understand what's going on. It is a good thing to remember that God has answered other people's prayers. And that builds your own faith. Because 
It is no secret what God can do. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. Read Hebrews 11 in a situation like that and and believe and trust God in spite of the circumstances in your life that it is a good thing to have faith in God. When you get to verse 6 though, you know, today's lingo you might say, "But, but what am I, chopped liver? God is answering other people's prayers. What am I, a worm? Some people have suggested there's a deeper meaning to this worm that where they got scarlet dye from and they're tying it to Jesus' sacrifice. It may very well be true. We see here the spectators joining in, announcing the rejection by God, saying, ah, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. People are saying things like that at the cross. He helped others. Where is this God now? The crowd of people there, they did not mean to fulfill Psalm 22, but they did. Verse 9, if this was true of David, how much more would it be true of Jesus? You are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust While on my mother's breast, I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Since the day of his birth, Jesus had fellowship with God. He never sinned. He never said the wrong thing. He never thought the wrong thoughts. He always did the right thing. And he always thought the right thoughts. Twice, at least, during Jesus' lifetime, the Father's voice was heard by people on earth. That's my son. I love him. I'm pleased with him. Listen to him. And now, here's Jesus on the cross. And may I remind you, from Isaiah 53, 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that made us whole, and with his stripes we are healed. Verse 12 and 13, we see Jesus on the cross. Imagine being nailed to a post while dogs and bulls and lions are snarling at you. Jesus had told his enemies in Luke 22, This is your hour, the power of darkness. Verse 14 and 15, let me read it again. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Those is a, that is a poetic description of exhaustion. You have never been as tired as Jesus was on that day. Five to six hours on the cross, his bones were out of joint, his lungs were filling up with fluid. His heart felt like melted wax. My heart's never felt like melted wax. I don't know what that feels like. An awful thirst, and we know that Jesus cried out on the cross, I thirst. He was at the brink of death 
And there's a phrase here called the dust of death. When Adam sinned, God had said, from dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Some of you have been with someone who is dying and sponged their mouths because their mouth was so dry as they were dying. But Jesus was not even in a hospital bed at this point. He was nailed to a cross. The description of the crucifixion displayed here in Psalm 22, they pierced my hands and my feet. I could count all my bones. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. I mean, it's so descriptive of crucifixion. Rome didn't even exist yet when David wrote those words. These Roman soldiers and the Jews called the Romans dogs, so I don't know for sure if that would apply here, but the word is the dogs have surrounded me. They would certainly, they took Jesus' clothes and they gambled for them. Those Roman soldiers, they did not mean to fulfill Psalm 22, but they did. Verses 19 through 21, Jesus is pleading once more for the Father to be close to him. You, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious, from the power of the dog. What is being called here? His precious, his darling. Interesting that when Psalm 22 was translated into Greek, that the word there was monogenes, which happens to be the same word that's in John 3.16, which is translated into English, my only begotten son. Okay, just blowing your mind a little bit there, trying to connect Psalm 22 and Jesus on the cross. But the precious thing was his life, his spirit. Jesus on the cross saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And the end of verse 21, you have answered me. The Father answered. He did not forsake his son. In verse 21, the crucifixion was complete. And our atonement was complete. Our sins were paid for. But in verse 22, I will declare your name to my brothers. When Jesus, what happened here? And it's not only do we see the crucifixion described in Psalm 22, a thousand years before it happened, but we also look ahead to the resurrection. And after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his brothers. As far as I know, you can correct me on this later and don't look it up right now, but every time that Jesus appeared to anyone between the resurrection and the ascension, it was to believers. It was to the brothers. Regardless of whether that's the only people he appeared to, we definitely know that Jesus appeared to his brothers. Multiple occasions. 
while he was on the cross, his brothers were on his mind. And what is he doing with his brothers in verse 22? I will declare your name to my brethren in the midst of the assembly. I will praise you. You, you recognize that the book of Psalms is a book of praise. Big picture overall, you praise God through the Psalms. And yet when you start at Psalm 1-1, you never get to the word praise until this verse. And I don't know if it's a coincidence that there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet and we're at chapter 22 and verse 22 and we get our first praise is at the resurrection of Jesus. Praising the name of God to his brothers. The same person who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The same person whose tongue was stuck to his jaws, and he was so thirsty. What happened? The resurrection. He did not stay dead. He died so our sins would be forgiven, and he lives so that we can live forever. And in verse 23 and 24, you who fear the Lord, praise him. Are you ready? People who fear the Lord, give me a hallelujah. You meant to fulfill Psalm 22 right then. We're commanded to do it. Praise the Lord among the brethren. Because God did not hide his face from him. When he cried, God heard. Children's Church lesson today is about Hagar, who is out in the wilderness, and she said, God is the one who sees and hears and answers. Those who seek him will say, Hallelujah. All you descendants of Jacob, there's one or two of you out there, glorify him. Let me hear it. Woo! Okay, there's a few descendants of Jacob. All right. For he is not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but when he cried to him, he heard, My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. Verse 27, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nation shall worship before you. Everybody, when the rich and the poor get together with the Lord, get together, get together with the Lord, we will treat each other like sisters and brothers when we all get together with the Lord. The rich, the poor, the weak, the strong, the tall, the small, people from every nation and tribe and people and tongue are going to praise the name of the Lord for what he did, what he accomplished, what we learned, what we're pointed to from Psalm 22. In verse 30 and 31, well, well, let's go there. Posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. And they will come and, and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born. And the story just keeps getting passed on and on and on. That he has done this. It is finished. Oh, how great it is to celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. And you believe in him 
and you receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. John 1.13 says, It's not by blood. You can't inherit it. Just because your parents were Christians doesn't make you one. It's not by the will of the flesh. There's no way that you can try hard enough. It's not by the will of man. There's no religion that you could invent to make this happen. But it is by the will of God. You believe and Jesus saves. Father in heaven, I thank you for Psalm 22. I thank you that we can learn to trust you no matter what. Learn that it's okay to cry our heart out to you and know that you hear even before our circumstances change. And oh, I think about being able to open Psalm 22 and worship our Savior. Be reminded of what he went through, what he endured on the cross to pay for our sins and rejoice in the resurrection as we gain the same appreciation that his disciples did when they saw him alive. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be changed by the reading of your word today. In the name of Jesus, amen.